Good morning. A magician from Mexico claimed that he could disappear on the count of three. No one believed him. So he said, uno, dos, and poof, he disappeared without a trace. Come on. Maybe I should do it again. <laughs> trace, get it? Uno, dos, trace, yeah. I was not voted most likely to be a comedian in high school, okay? I major in dad jokes. But speaking of dads, I mean, check out, check out this Southside dad. Oh, we just lost him. Southside dad and mom. Did you know who that was? That is Claude and Donna DeCamp. Claude and Donna DeCamp. Married for over 52 years. Yeah. They have not disappeared from each other's life without a trace. I think they won the lottery when they got each other. Now, speaking of the lottery, you know what would be terrible is winning the lottery but losing the ticket. <laughs> Having something so valuable disappear in your life without a trace, that's a, a yearbook designation these days, most likely to win the lottery but lose the ticket. Uh, it was in my kids' yearbook, and they had some kids. How many of you, by show of hands, would say you would win that uh, honor? So lucky you might win the lottery, but so unlucky you'd lose the ticket. Okay, Mike Gardner would be that person. Uh, we're continuing in our series today from Acts chapter 8 as we are, are using that idea of yearbook designations, the most likely two kind of designations, to talk about some of the most interesting people, I think, in the book of Acts. And I think we see elements of some of these things in Simon's story in Acts chapter 8, uh, starting in verse 9. If you've got a Bible or an Acts journal this morning, or you like to read your Bible on your phone, if you can open up to Acts 8, uh, we're going to continue in this story here. Last week, we, we tagged along with this fellow named Philip, who went off into the land of misfits, or the land of Samaria, and... Even though there was a lot of hostility between Jewish people and Samaritan people, he witnessed to Jesus there, and people came to faith, and there was great joy in the city, but there was also a magician there, and the disappearance of something incredibly valuable, eternally valuable, and I don't want it to disappear from your life, so let's look closely at Simon's story, Acts chapter 8, so that nothing slips through your fingers like it slipped through his First of all, I want to take a hard look at the magician in the story. Acts chapter 8, verse 9. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. And they followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. Okay, so Simon is a magician. And maybe when you think about that, you know, uh, this guy comes to mind, you know, the kid's entertainer, magician, right, who does some card tricks, pulls a quarter out of your ear, that kind of thing. 
but in those days, Simon, uh, the term is maguo. He, he, he called upon supernatural forces for unnatural results. Now, again, maybe in your mind's eye, that brings to mind something a little more nefarious like, like this, you know, Dr. Strange in the Marvel Universe, you know, that kind of a sorcerer. But probably, honestly, Simon was more like a charlatan. <laughs> Someone who made money from his bag of tricks, a quack a trickster, like Elymas, the sorcerer that we'll read about in Cyprus later in Acts chapter 13. But regardless of what kind of magician he was, listen, he was a force to be reckoned with. He, Luke says, amazed all the people of Samaria. And his legend grew through time. Uh, Justin Martyr, who was a, a second century writer, a uh, Samaritan himself, described this Simon as a Samaritan from the village of Gitto who was worshipped by almost all the Samaritans, he said, of his day as the first god. In fact, Simon was also accompanied by a former prostitute named Helen, uh, whom his followers claimed to be the first idea generated by him. And so these legends grew, right? And Simon, according to the legends, he journeyed to Rome during the time of Claudius, and uh, he was worshipped as a god. He had a statue erected to him there in Rome with the inscription, to the holy god Simon. That's what the legends said. Uh, turns out they did dredge up a statue out of the Tiber River about the 16th century, and it did have an inscription on it, but it said, to the holy god Simone, not Simon, that was a different deity of the day, but you know, the legend sort of persisted about this guy. In fact, according to one legend, he is said to have corrupted the Christians in Rome with this false teaching, and he even had a magical showdown with the apostle Peter. Simon was supposedly made a brass serpent move by itself. He made stone statues laugh. He raised himself up into the air. He flew. And Peter, it says, in contrast to that, healed the sick with the word. By praying, he made the blind see. He put demons to flight by a command. Sometimes he even raised the dead. A battle of, ma of magicians. Now maybe you're thinking something a little bit more like this, you know? So there's quite a lot of stories about this magician. But in Luke's story, he simply says Simon boasted that he was someone megas, someone great, a mega magician with an adoring crowd. Uh, one writer, Willie James Jennings, says it this way, Simon flowed in the currency of the crowd, where attention and power circulated between the one and the many. He was chasing attention. Do you find yourself chasing attention? I mean, you know how tiring that can be? I bet you, I bet you do. There's the never-ending treadmill of trying to outdo yourself, of trying to impress someone or to be noticed. More likes on social media, more accomplishments at work, more money in the bank. Our society, you see, doesn't shine its spotlight on ordinary people doing faithful work. We worship celebrity. All the people, Luke says, both high and low, gave him their attention. And we kind of like that too. We kind of want that too. But the problem with trying to amaze people is that it only lasts for a moment. And then you got to do it again. And so we find ourselves chasing, chasing, chasing after the next thing to capture people's attention. And I wonder, are you putting on a show in your life? Are you trying to impress someone, a boss, a boy, a girl, a coach, Maybe even a kid? 
Are you exhausting yourself to wow the world around you? See, you can get so caught up in the magic of people's attention that something valuable can slip right through your fingers. You can win the lottery but lose the ticket. Yeah, I started watching this magician pretty closely in the story, but, but maybe don't pay so much attention to him. Maybe for a moment we should focus on the pledge, the pledge of the story. Now, I don't know if you saw the old movie, The Prestige, but Michael Caine in that movie says that every magic trick has three parts, and the first part is the pledge. That is where uh, the magician just shows you an ordinary object. So, for instance, this morning, this is a quarter. It's an ordinary quarter in a plastic little box. Uh, Dr. Phil, can you confirm this is just a quarter in a plastic box? Don't look too closely, okay? <laughs> it's just a quarter. You can at least test the quarter. Is that a normal quarter? It's not gold? Okay, good, 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 okay. That's the pledge. And Simon, in this story, our magician seems to do the same thing. Uh, Philip, you see, came into town. He started taking people's attention away from Simon. And uh, Philip's one of these seven appointed church leaders from Jerusalem in Acts chapter 6. And he's on the move now. He's proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah. And then we get to verse 12 of chapter 8. And it says, when they, these Samaritans, when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip, followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Now, there's nothing more ordinary than water. This is sort of the pledge of the story. People are getting wet. There's baptisms. But what is astonishing is that Samaritans were getting baptized. You see, in their world, people would get baptized primarily to join the people of God, the Jewish people. And Samaritans hated Jewish people. For a Samaritan to get baptized? Uh-oh. But Philip told them about the promise of Jesus, a Jewish Messiah who welcomed all people, forgiveness, a new start, a new family of God. And they were moved by this sort of ordinary pledge of water. They felt like they won the lottery. So they entered the waters of baptism and they allowed a hated Jewish man, Philip, to not only touch them, but to take them down under the water and to bring them back up into new life. It was astonishing. But Simon the magician, I think, sees a trick to be had. He knows all about the pledge. So he too gets baptized in ordinary water. But did you notice how Luke described it? In uh, verse 13, for instance, he said, Simon himself believed. I suppose you could translate it, even Simon believed. You kind of get the sense Luke couldn't believe it. In fact, there may even uh, be a little bit of a hint that this was too good to be true in Luke's mind. Uh, again, notice in verse 12 when he talks about how the Samaritans were baptized, he gave the content of their belief, the good news of the kingdom of God, the name of Jesus Christ. This is what they believed. But when he described Simon's baptism in the very next verse, he just said, Simon himself believed. He gave no content to his belief. What exactly did he believe? I don't know, but all we know is that he followed around Philip like a, like a rock star groupie. <laughs> he loved the signs. He loved the, the miracles going on. Could it be Simon endured the waters of baptism just to learn Philip's tricks of the trade? Jesus knew people like this in his own ministry. John chapter 2 
It says, now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing. And they believed in his name, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. You see, you, you know this. There are people that will wander along with the crowd to see something ordinary become exciting. They will do what the crowd does. They will say what the crowd says, even in a church. But in their heart of hearts, there's no commitment, there's no decision, there's no content to their baptism. Water for them is just, this is water. An ordinary pledge in a, in a magic trick. But the problem with that kind of thing is that Chasing excitement in religion, it only lasts a moment. Once you see the firework explode in the sky, then the dark sky starts to surround it again and start looking for the next thrill. And people, it seems, start chasing and chasing and chasing after the next crowd pleaser. And I wonder for us, are you here today sitting in ordinary chairs looking to be wowed? (laughs) Maybe even following the crowd in this room, not into commitment into Jesus, but into, into entertainment, looking to be wowed. Now, the trouble is, you can get so caught up in the magic of the majority opinion that something valuable can slip right through your fingers. You can win the lottery, but lose the ticket. Yeah, I looked at the pledge in this story, but then I, I was interested in the, the turn of the story. Again, Michael Caine in the movie says the magic trick has three parts. There's the pledge where the Magician shows you just an ordinary object, and then there's the turn in the trick. That is when the magician takes something ordinary, like this quarter and this plastic sleeve, and he turns it into something extraordinary, you know? So just put this quarter in this little sleeve right here, you know, and you put it in here, and voila, the quarter is gone, right? Okay. We didn't say the magic word. That's what it is. So, so you know, this quarter is in the sleeve. What's, what's the magic word, Phil? Abracadabra. Well, my parents taught me please and thank you were the magic word. But, but that's okay. We'll, we'll use yours, okay? So abracadabra. So then you put this in here and you say abracadabra. And is it gone now? Whoa. The turn. Simon attempts the turn, it seems, in this story. The crowd is captive. Philip is doing miracles. And then some other people join this show. Look at verse 14 with me. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard the Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that the Spirit was given by the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, and he said, Give me also this ability so that everybody on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this is the mystery. This feels like the mystery of magic. All these Samaritans believed in Jesus. They went into the water of baptism, and they went under, but the turn hadn't happened in their life yet. The Spirit had not come into their life. In so many instances in the New Testament, a person's baptism and the Spirit's coming into their life happened in one movement. Why is there a delay here? Does anybody know? Because I don't really know. I thought maybe somebody would chime in. Um, 
Brandon's teaching a class in a month about the Holy Spirit. You should go and ask him about this. I'm not sure. I don't know. But here's what I do know. I do know that this is a major movement of the expansion of the church in the book of Acts. God's work in the world is changing. What I do know is that Jesus called his followers in Acts chapter 1 to be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In Samaria, it's happening right here, right now. Maybe God wanted his apostles to witness this movement. Maybe he wanted his whole church to participate in this movement. This growth was not just a maverick missionary out doing his thing. It was endorsed and embraced by the whole church and Jews and Samaritans who hated each other were now becoming one family in Christ. I don't think we understand just how big that is. I was trying to think, okay, so I thought if we could put ourselves somehow in their shoes, what hated people would we embrace only in Jesus, you know? Like Jews and Samaritans, they just hated each other. What? It'd, be like, it'd be like Americans joining with Vladimir Putin right about now, right? Could you imagine, you know, welcoming him and loving him and placing your hand, laying your hands on him, not to throttle him, you know, but to, to love him, to welcome That'd be tough. Or I thought, you know, Jews and Samaritans hating each other. It'd be like Americans with like Islamic terrorists, maybe. You know, just this sort of hatred. But, but only in Jesus would we love them. What, what hated people come to mind? Well, I saw this t-shirt and I thought, of, I thought maybe this would work as well. Um, maybe. There we go. Two things I hate. Politicians and pedophiles. Man, that is harsh. Wow. But it kind of brought to mind, like, who, who are two, two groups that would come together? Like, what, what would that look like? You know, what hated people could we embrace only in Jesus? And I thought of Justin Bieber, maybe. Uh, well, that's not nice. I don't hate Justin Bieber. What hated people? Let's get serious again. What hated people could we bring together but only in Jesus? Well, Chicago Cubs fan, that is... That's two digs on the Cubs already early in the baseball season. I got to get my licks in. Maybe Cardinal fans uh, are what come to mind for you. I don't know. But Jews welcoming Samaritans in Jesus was huge. In fact, do you remember the last time John, who now comes to to Samaria with Peter, do you remember the last time John interacted with people of Samaria? Do you remember what he said? Luke chapter 9? They didn't welcome Jesus in, and he wanted to call down fire from heaven and burn the place to the ground. But instead of seeing the fire of God's judgment, now he sees the fire of God's spirit. Instead of excluding those half-breed Samaritans, they're including them in the name of Jesus. Peter and John humbled themselves to travel to these Samaritan people, to put their hands on them, to pray for them, and, and, and for God to include them, and that's a prayer God delights to answer. So maybe the Spirit delayed coming to the Samaritans, not for a defect in their faith, but for an effect on the whole church. The Samaritan Pentecost, the Spirit came on a whole group of people. That's not the normal pattern of personal salvation as we think about it, but it was the turn. It was the magical moment when the whole new group of people joined the family of Jesus. But there was one who missed it. Simon was 
So busy trying to figure out the turn that the spirit of the living God slipped right through his fingers. He won the lottery. The gospel was right there. New life in Jesus Christ. A new beginning. Peace. A whole new family relationship with the ancient enemies of of the Samaritans. He won the lottery, but he lost the ticket. Give me, he said in verse 19. Did you see it? Give me. Not the gift of the Spirit, not God indwelling in me. Give me also this ability he wanted. He wanted to perform a trick. He wanted to amaze people again. And he offered him money for something that can't be bought. And I wonder if you know people like that. People who want peace in their life. And so they'll spend any amount of money to try to get a little bit of relief from anxiety and the trouble of life all around us, you know, expensive vacations and elaborate home theaters and impressive cars and all the rest. And all they want is peace. And maybe they even come to church. But, but the truth is what they really want is peace, not the peacemaker. What they want is forgiveness, not the forgiver. What they want is the gifts, not the gift giver. And so they get caught in a cycle of sin and searching and sin and searching, chasing for the turn, you know. We want that sort of magical thing that will free us and release us and make us happy and safe and successful and all the rest. You know, is it a, is it a new phone? Is it a new technology? Is it a new job? Is it a new husband, a new wife? Is it retirement? What is it? We ask for God's forgiveness. We say the magic words, forgive me. Not to restore a relationship with God, but so we can get his gifts. And sometimes I wonder if our prayers sound to God a little bit like, give me also this ability. But the problem with chasing God's gifts is that they satisfy us for only a moment, and then you try to find something else. And we just chase and chase and chase after the next thing God can give you. And I wonder this morning, are you in that cycle? Are you content or so discontent that every prayer you utter starts with the words, give me? <laughs> Trouble, of course, is that you can get so caught up in, the, in God's generosity that you miss something valuable slipping through your very fingers, and that's God himself. You can win the lottery, but lose the ticket. Well, don't miss the last part of the story. It's what I'll call the reveal. Again, if we think about the magic trick has three parts. You've got the pledge where you see something ordinary. Then you've got the turn where something extraordinary happens. And then you have the reveal. Making something disappear is only part of it. You've got to make it come back. So, you know, as a good magician, I'll, I'll make the quarter come back. Right? No. Okay, okay. We didn't say the magic word again. Phil, what was the magic word? Abracadabra. You're, you're, okay, you're confident. Shazam. Okay, that's even better. <laughs> Woo! Okay, pay no attention to the fact that this says Oriental Training Company on the back. This is real magic. Ready? Did it come back? Yes, I had no doubts. The reveal. Peter tries to bring Simon back to the heart of the gospel in verse 20. Simon tries to buy the gift of the Spirit, and Peter says, May your money perish with you. 
because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. Earlier, Peter and John, remember, told the lame man that they didn't have any silver or gold, and now they're offered silver and gold, and they said, no, 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 you let that money perish with you. You have no part or share in this ministry, Peter says, because your heart is not right with God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart, for I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Simon is not free. He is not able to purchase God, to control God. He's a slave to sin, and his best Harry Houdini impression won't get him out of that. So he answered in verse 24, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you've said may happen to me. Turns out, Simon may have not responded to the gospel. He may have responded to his own greed. The same kind of greed earlier in the book of Acts that led Judas to a betrayal of Jesus and of his own suicide. The same kind of greed earlier in the book of Acts that led Ananias and Sapphira to their own shame and early grave. The same greed that you and I can have when we try to control God for our own purposes, our own pleasures, our own desires. You see, this story of a magician, I think it exposes a common question that honestly causes us to miss out on God's gospel. It unveils, I think, why we win the lottery but can sometimes lose the ticket. And asking this question shows that our heart is not right before God. It shows that we're captives to bitterness and to sin. This is the question, I think, that holds us back from God's reveal, from from the prestige of this beautiful thing in the gospel. Here's the question I think Simon stumbled on in his mind. It's the question that falls so often on our lips. It's a question that's a problem. And the question is, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? If you focus on that question, you will miss the magic of what God is doing all around us. What's in it for me? We don't know if Simon ever repented. Tradition certainly doesn't think so. I don't know if he did, but you can. You can drop the show. You can forget about the crowd this morning. You can quit the chase right here and right now, and you can let this God produce that reveal, that prestige in your life. Because after all, God's own son disappeared in death on a cross. But God brought him back. And he'll do the same for you. If you trust him, if you truly give him your allegiance, he'll do the same for you. Now, wouldn't that be pretty magical? Father, we give ourselves to you today and we ask for your forgiveness when we have chased and run after so many other things and we've let your gospel slip through our fingers. We've let your presence and the gift of your son fall to the wayside as we chase other things. We pray that we would be a people, Father, who value you and value uh, your love and your compassion in our lives and that we'd be a people that would share that with others. Help us this week to experience your presence, Father, and to find ourselves truly grateful, truly content because you are enough. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.